beautiful Renaissance prelude by Thomas Tallis. Thank you, Sheila. And I um, have a couple of songs here for you before we uh, get into the body of the worship service. Um, it is, um, first thing is Psalm 8, a song called Over Everything. And it's, uh, there'll be a, re a refrain on the wall for you to sing with me. And uh, so join in with that. It's the uh, appointed psalm for the uh, Sunday of, uh, of St. Francis, which is today. is singing along on Psalm 8 there. The next thing is a song um, by John Michael Talbot, and it is uh, the words of St. Francis. And uh, again, there'll be a refrain on the wall for you to play along with. Let us adore the Lord.
gather here to say in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
join our hearts together in prayer. Sovereign God, you have created us to live in loving community with one another. Form us for a life that is faithful and steadfast. And teach us to trust like little children that we may reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Please be seated for the reading of scripture. The lesson for this Sunday of St. Francis is from the eighth chapter of Hebrews, verses eight through 13. God finds fault with them when he says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I had no concern for them, says the Lord. This is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, for the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our friend Carrie Newcomer is a songwriter has written about uh, many things. This is a song called Sanctuary. Talks about uh, asking for someone, some being, some presence to be sanctuary in those times that you just cannot, do not think you can endure. Will you be my refuge, my haven in the storm? Will you keep the embers warm when my fire's all but gone? Will you remember, bring me sprigs of rosemary, be my sanctuary till I can carry on, carry on? Carry on. This one knocked me to the ground. This one dropped me to my knees. Should have seen it coming, but it surprised me. Will you be my refuge, my haven in the storm? Will you keep the embers warm when my fire's all but gone? Will you remember, bring me sprigs of rosemary, be my sanctuary, till I can carry on, carry on, carry on. In a state of true believers, on streets called us and them, it's going to take some time till the world feels safe again. Will you be my refuge, my haven in the storm? Will you keep the embers warm when my fire's all but gone? Will you remember, bring me sprigs of rosemary, be my sanctuary till I can carry on, carry on, carry on?
can rest here in this chapel or with a circle of friends. If the quiet grove of trees or between two bookends, will you be my refuge, my haven in the storm? Will you keep the embers warm when my fire's all but gone? Will you remember? Bring me sprigs of rosemary, be my sanctuary till I can carry on, carry on, carry on, carry on. I get stuck with music. So hold on. I'll be right there. We will carry on. Oh, there's something so thematic with that today and the reading. So recently I see a bumper sticker. And it says... When God created man, she was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I lived with that one for a while. <laughs> so if the humor in some ways feels a bit awkward or contrived or a strange place or a strange way to start a sermon... I will say to you, that's good. That's really, really good today because I cannot think of one pastor that I know of who enjoys preaching on the appointed gospel for this day. Which means me, being me, will of course preach on this text from Mark, the 10th chapter. It's about divorce. And so before I read this text, if we were to do a little survey work, and if you fall into one of these categories, you've been divorced, you have a relative divorced, you have a neighbor or friend who's divorced, or you, you've lived in a convent the last 40 years and you've at least read about the pain that divorce can cause people, could you raise your hand? Okay, that's all of us. Now see, I raise my hand as well because we have a child who is divorced we sometimes pejoratively refer to it as her starter marriage. My last remaining living auntie, who faithfully along with her husband every Sunday took their four children to church and Sunday school throughout their growing up, all of them, all four, are now divorced. And since I'm the pastor in the family, my job was to provide some consolation to my sweet, Jesus-loving auntie who wondered what she had done wrong raising her children. And she had done nothing wrong. She loved them like Jesus loved them. So I dare say there will be few of us here this day who have been spared the realities of what divorce means. With that in mind, here is the gospel. Some Pharisees came, and to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. 
Then in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, he laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. The gospel of the Lord. God is good all the time. So a keeper of the law, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus. And I have to think of this one as kind of a young gun. That's how I picture him. Someone who's well-versed, you know, in the law, who knows how to teach it and this or that. And he comes asking a question which is ridiculous because the answer is obvious. The question, though, was not designed to seek God. It was not to seek the illumination of God's will. It's a test. It's a hostile question designed to entrap Jesus. See, according to rabbinic code, though Jesus was not responsible to answer his question unless he would first answer Jesus' question. And so the conversation takes a turn here now because Jesus says to him, what do you say? Now this is important. Because the conversation, Jesus turns it from some kind of intellectual debate about the realities of the law to question a man's personal response to it. How do you say? What do you say about this? The Mosaic law allowed it was legal for a man to divorce his wife. A man to divorce his wife. The law allowed him to publicly state three times, and it was done. But Jesus asked a personal question. What do you say? What does the Spirit of God say to you about a broken moment in people's lives? His answer leaves Jesus saddened, if not really disgusted. Because, so he says, because your hearts were hardened, Moses made this law. Jesus could have continued, and what he was really saying, because your hearts are still hard, you ask me this question. See, the law is the consequence of hard hearts. So Jesus redefines the conversation. The issue is not the legality of divorce. The issue is really hard hearts. In our family, we have a recently deceased relative. In many ways, he was a good guy. He would loan you a tool once. He voted. He went to church. He had a career in public service. And it was almost 40 years prior to his death that he last saw one of his daughters. He didn't approve of the man that she would marry. He died never seeing her again, never seeing her children, never seeing her grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. Now, in church language, this is called excommunication. It's being cut off. It would be in the New Testament like an example of leprosy. She was a leper, so he had nothing to do with her. You see, there was a law somewhere in his head that justified this brutal estrangement. This was the same spirit inherent inside the Pharisees who sought Jesus' demise. Now, let's be clear. There is a healthy side to the law which is meant to protect us. But this is not how the law was being used. You see, for most of us, like when I think of this relative, The thought of cutting off a child, a grandchild, a great-grandchild, for most of us, such a thought would be unconscionable. It's repugnant, regardless of the reason. 
for such is the reality and when we are left to debate the law, which as its heart is an accommodation to human weakness. Jesus uses a story of creation to call the conversation back to God's good intentions, which once abandoned made the law necessary. The Pharisee asking this question is at heart, offers us a clear window into the estrangement we feel from God. As a consequence of our estrangement from God, we are estranged from each other, and most significantly, we are really estranged from ourselves. We are estranged from the person God created us to be. We all bear the mark of this condition. We may not cut off a child, but we all know those places in our lives where we use the law to dismiss another's value, to cast aspersions in another one's motivations or character or their politics. We all have our lepers, who, by the way, are the very same people Jesus dines with. So my consolation when I think of our relative is, is that he now dines with Jesus. When I hear people get lost in social or political conversation that becomes divisive, it is the law at work. And here's the hard part. Because we know that it quickly can devolve into estrangement. So how do we in that moment respond? Because we cease in that moment to be the people of God, intent that God intended us to be, and I count myself among them. When I find myself, and this is a very real struggle, I freely admit in my own life, when I hear people casting off opinions and thoughts like facts that do not stand before God's throne of grace, I cannot like the person more, I can love Jesus more. And the more I give myself to that, the more I can handle the other. That's the only way I have found around it. That's how grace works. I cannot be distracted by that, which is going to lead to an estrangement that God doesn't call me to. I just have to love Jesus more. Many years ago at our weekly pastor's text study, when we would go over the lessons for upcoming Sundays, one of my friends, a good pastor who was divorced, as we all sat down with this text, none of us wanting to talk about it, he said, I get it. I finally get it. Get what, said one old fuddy-duddy pastor. Okay, maybe I wasn't that old, but. He said, I'm done with it. I'm done with all the mental and emotional gymnastics of trying to find loopholes in the law, of trying to justify myself, of trying to determine who was most at fault. I'm done with it. Over our collective smile, he sighed. I can't do it the way God intended. So I have to rely on God's grace. And he said, I'm good with that. The gymnastics of having to determine who is at fault can be exhausting. Several times a year, Brenda and I make a trip over to Idaho where our daughters and their families live. One of the shortcuts we take around one of those eastern Washington towns involves climbing a very steep hill. At the top of that hill is the regional hospital. Three quarters of the way up that very steep hill, someone has attached a sign on the post, on the telephone pole. It says, don't quit. I, I look forward to that sign. It has captured my imagination. What is its author trying to say? Don't quit, you're almost to the top. Don't quit, the hospital's in sight. Don't quit, life is hard, but you can make it. Sometimes I think of it being put up by a parent who's fearful of a child who's made bad decisions, dangerous decisions, and 
that parent says, don't quit. Life is precious. Don't take that last, that fatal step. There's help. Don't quit. Has the hill become a metaphor for someone who has had to face their own life challenges? Don't quit. Fascinating, isn't it, how two words can inspire, can be a source of inspiration? I wonder if, if the imagination of others driving up that hill have also been piqued. I also wonder if that sign has inspired its readers to not quit, not quit. Don't quit on a child uh, like that relative. Don't quit. Don't quit on a friend. Don't quit on a relationship you've been called to. Don't quit on yourself. Do not quit on God. I can hear Jesus saying, don't quit. Come to the table. Do not give in to, do not give in to estrangement, which like resentment is a dark hole. My takeaway as a pastor is to encourage all of us in our own time of need, don't quit on grace. Don't quit on God's love by falling prey to the law, which offers the seductive elixir of self-justification. Oh, how we love to drink from that font. But leaves us then cut off and estranged. Don't quit on grace. The disciples were learning on the job albeit slowly, after a challenging tutorial on how marriage is simply another, albeit painful, example of how God's people are living estranged lives, the disciples decide it's in everyone's best interest to shoo the children and the parents away who were bringing those children for a blessing from Jesus. This one got Jesus fired up. But this, his response grants us actually a window into the heart of God as he thinks about how relationships get broken, like in divorce. Little children, women, those estranged by ritual, tradition, the law, race, ethnicity, religion, gender, to these belong the kingdom of God. The estranged are always welcomed at the Lord's table. Forbid them not, for the kingdom of God belongs to these. Those who are estranged. Now, it's probably impossible to preach a sermon on marriage, excuse me, and divorce without the listener waiting for a tagline to their own prejudices and opinions. In the interest of full disclosure, let me share with you I would mention that in 2012, Brenda and I were the poster children, literally the poster children for Referendum 74 that legalized same-sex marriage in Washington. We appeared in television spots across the state. Brenda's job was to stand faithfully by my side, her hands on my arm, while I spoke into the camera. I remember one, <laughs> I remember one directive the director gave Brenda, though she didn't say anything, he asked her, could you please try to look at him a little more adoringly? <laughs> I, I'm still waiting. No, no, that's really not true. I'm going to pay for that, though, later on. I want you to know that. So here's the gospel, though. Here's the gospel. The reality of divorce, of broken relationships, the reality of not being married, the reality of not having children, the reality of being gay, the reality of being different has made us all outsiders at some time. The reality of being widowed makes us an outsider at some time. Jesus calling us back to a created order is less the holding up of an idealized vision of a perfect relationship than it is a reminder that to be fully human is to be in relationship whatever that relationship might look like. To be marginalized, to be estranged, is to be alone. And alone is not the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ 
who is God in the flesh, who comes to us in bread and wine and the word to say, I am with you. You are not estranged from me. That's the good news. Amen? God is good all the time. Amen, my friends. Our hymn of the day is You Are Mine. We'll be projected for you. Please stand as we sing. I will come to you in the silence. I will lift you from all your fear. You will hear my voice. I claim you as my choice. Be still and know I am here. I am hope for all who are hopeless. I am eyes for all who long to see. In the shadows of the night, I will be your light. Come and rest in me. Do not be afraid, I am with you. I have called you each by name. Come and follow me. I will bring you home. I love you and you are mine. I have strength for all the despairing, healing for the ones who dwell in shame. All the blind will see the lame will all run free, and all will know my name. Do not be afraid, I am with you. I have called you each by name. Come and follow me, I will bring you home. I love you. prayers. Each response, each petition ends in merciful God, and our response is, hear our prayer. together in the Spirit's embrace on the celebration day of St. Francis, let us pray for the mending of God's word. We pray for communication of faith, local and global. May they be messengers of peace and reconciliation, binding up wounds and drawing us ever closer into your beloved community. In so doing, may we hear our families, both individual and communal, being willing to humbly say words of apology 
forgiveness, and love. Merciful God, hear our prayer. When we find ourselves separated from others, bring clarity to our confusion. Give peace to our emptiness and freedom from bitterness, knowing all are made in your image. We know it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We give thanks for those who journey. Give them times of discovery, refreshment, and rest. Let them be open to new discoveries and share good news and a word of hope with those they meet. May they be part of creating connections with others and healing and binding up this beautiful world. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray for all who gather to worship today. May we give holy welcome, share tender mercies, and deepen trust in your goodness. We pray especially this day for all your creatures, great and small, in water, air, or on land. Let us recognize their sacred worth as we love and protect them. Merciful God, hear our prayer. We pray also for all who are ill or recovering from medical issues, especially Kevin Keith following his stroke, Pat McBiles after his heart surgery, we remember all those who have died, bring comfort to their loved ones, and bless their memory among us and their life with you. Merciful God, hear our prayer. All these things and whatever else you see that we need, we entrust to your care through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Peace, the Lord, be with you always. Share God's peace with one another. Go on a visit. Go find someone. Another, Deacon Amy has some announcements for us. Good morning. Good morning. You may have noticed my guests. <laughs> this is my daughter, Leah, and this is her friend, Kayla. Um, we brought Kayla with us as a reminder of the Blessing for Animals, which is coming up at the 1030 service. We do this every year at the beginning of October in commemoration of St. Francis of Assisi. So um, it's a lot of fun. If you'd like to come back at the 1030 service, we'll do that um, after the announcements, and we'll see what other critters we can round up. There's a goldfish waiting out there, too. <laughs> so um, other announcements for the week. There are a lot of great things going on. Uh, Jim and Gert Tashi, are we here this morning? I haven't seen them. They're celebrating an anniversary. So the um, flowers on the table in the narthex next to the goldfish are for their anniversary celebration. And this morning we're celebrating birthdays. Alice Rockhill, I don't think they're here yet. And Donna, Donna Dedimore, is Donna here? No, so if you see Alice or Donna, be sure to wish them happy birthday. 
The altar flowers this morning, beautiful altar flowers, are given by Vicki Mena to the glory of God and in loving memory of her mother, Abby Cromey. Um, let's see, adult education, new brochures are out. These lovely blue, blue flyers are on the Narthex table out there and they go through November with um, class descriptions for all of the upcoming classes. Those happen between worship services in the fireside room, so 9-10 every Sunday morning. Uh, this morning, Ann Posner, Trinity member, is speaking about her life abroad as a U.S. Foreign Service officer. So she and her family have lived in several different places around the world. Really should be an interesting conversation this morning. Uh, youth activities. Sunday school happens again between worship services. We're meeting in the gym right now with our students together with lots of airflow and fun activities in there. Confirmation classes begin this morning. We'll meet at 1145 in the fireside room. That's for all of our sixth to eighth grade students. And then that same age group meets on Wednesday evenings for youth group at four o'clock. This week will be on campus. Next week will be on Zoom, and then we'll continue alternating that way. Um, I think that's all I have. Are there any other announcements? Just to highlight Jim and Gert's anniversary, it's not just any anniversary, it's their 71st wedding anniversary. So. <laughs> There. That is something to note. Thank you. All right. Yes. Oh, the, chi the chicken's name is Kayla. This is Kayla, and she's very sweet. Thank you. Several years ago in my former parish, uh, a daughter of that congregation who had her own opinions about things like going with a family to church decided that she would throw the pastor off by on the day of the blessing of pets uh, she brought her pet rock <laughs> to which I found joy in praying gracious God let this pet not be a burden to this child that would weigh her down <laughs> so as we prepare our hearts to receive the meal we are reminded that everyone is welcome this is Christ's table, it's not Trinity Lutheran's table, and it's not certainly not mine. You are invited to come to this meal, so if the Spirit stirs your heart, you are so welcome to come, and we invite you, please. The wafer is given to you. It's much easier to eat it if you take your mask off when you receive it. This, the communion assistant will then offer you a glass, which for this season, they're all juice at this time. But just know that you are welcome. We are reminded that it was Passover, and it was the night in which our Lord was betrayed. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. It is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After the supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant. It is poured out of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this for the remembrance of me. For as much as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we share in the real presence of Christ who is here with us now and who invites us to come, that we might know that God's love for us is sure and certain and true. And so we pray as our Lord taught us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The communion assistants will direct you. Please know that you are welcome. We look forward to sharing with you the meal.
Now that we have been fed and nourished by the living presence of our Lord God who comes to us in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, know that you have received this meal as a sign of God's love for you. May the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the gift of his precious blood strengthen and preserve you unto life eternal. Amen. Amen. Receive the benediction. May the Lord God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn, and go Mariners. <laughs> Our sending hymn is to be your presence. Peace to love and serve the Lord.